Welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we are recording this on Saturday, September the 16th, 2023. You're listening for the first time on Sunday, September 17th, and the rebroadcast will air on Monday, September the 18th at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, my name is Jasmine, and I'm here with two of my friends and co-hosts, Janet and Reese. How are y'all? doing good glad to be back yeah happy saturday i'm doing all right it's um good to have a day where i don't have to do anything but this (laughs) i heard that i heard that and um we it's the weekend of rosh hashanah so if you're observing i hope you're having a happy new year celebration um, and it's also definitely, it's not technically fall yet, but it definitely snapped into fall-ish temperatures. So it does feel like we're turning over into something new, new season, new school year for a lot of people. So hopefully this year will bring you some good things, even if uh, the news isn't quite doing that. Um, so for this week, uh, for local news, we'll be talking about um, suspected opioid exposure at a Bronx daycare that left one child de- uh, dead and three hospitalized, um, and that story is developing. For national news, we'll be discussing the UAW strike, and for world news, uh, we'll be discussing a new development in Poland um, of a test uh, that can detect if someone has taken abortion pills. Uh, So for our local news story, we have Janet, you're up first. I'm going to be talking about a New York Times article titled, One-Year-Old Boy Dies of Suspected Opioid Exposure at a Bronx Daycare, and it was written by Eric Nolan and Ed Shanahan. A one-year-old boy died on Friday, and three others were hospitalized after all four were apparently exposed to an opioid at a state-licensed Bronx daycare where the police later found a packaging device typically used by drug dealers, officials said. The New York City Medical Examiner's Office said an autopsy to determine the child's cause of death, death was scheduled for Saturday, but Mayor Eric Adams said at a news briefing streamed online overnight that the four children, quote, appeared to have come into contact with an opioid. Joseph E. Kenny, the police department's chief of detectives, said at the briefing that the episode was the subject of an active criminal investigation. He added that suspicions about opioid exposure were prompted by the children's symptoms and by the discovery of a so-called kilo press at the daycare site during the execution of a search warrant there. Quote, this is an item that is commonly used by drug dealers when packaging large quantities of drugs, Chief Kenny said. Fentanyl, a powerful synthetic narcotic that is increasingly turning up in the illicit drug supply in the United States, was not identified as the culprit, 
But in his remarks at the briefing, the city's health commissioner cited it as a possible cause. Chief Kenny gave the following account of the episode at the daycare. Emergency medical workers responded to a 911 call requesting help for three unconscious children at 2707 Morris Avenue in the Bronx around 2.45 p.m. Finding the children, the one-year-old boy, a two-year-old boy, and an eight-month-old girl unresponsive and showing symptoms of opioid exposure, the emergency workers administered the overdose reversal medication, Narcon, and took them to Montefiore Medical Center. The girl and the two-year-old boy regained consciousness. As of early Saturday, he was in critical condition and she was in stable condition. The one-year-old boy, whom the police identified as Nicholas uh, Dominici, was pronounced dead at the hospital. He would have turned two in November. The police learned that the fourth child, another two-year-old boy, had left the daycare shortly after noon. Once he was home, his mother noticed that he was lethargic and unresponsive. The boy was taken to Bronx Care Health System Hospital, where he too was in stable condition after being revived with Narcon. The police had initially reported that all four children were at the daycare when emergency workers first responded and that the one-year-old had been pronounced dead there. After the children were removed from the daycare, fire department units tested the premises for environmental hazards and found no evidence of carbon monoxide, officials said. Calls and text messages to, to the contact number for the licensed daycare at the Morris Avenue address were not immediately returned. Anna Ortiz Irving, 73, who lives next door to the daycare, said she was friendly with the mother and daughter who owned it. The business opened only a few months ago, she said, but they had worked hard for several months before that to update the ground floor apartment and ensure that it was up to city and state code. She said the inside of the daycare was visible from the street and was described as beautiful. Quote, I don't know what happened, she said. All I can tell you is her and her mother are decent people. So this is a developing story. It does appear because of the Narcon application's effect that there was an opioid involved. Um, And I just wanted to add to this article that Narcon has recently been approved to be over-the-counter in 50 states, and um, it's something that anyone can purchase and have on hand. Um, Basically, it's something that it won't harm a person if they're not, in fact, suffering from um, an opioid overdose, and so it's safe, but you basically administer it through someone's nose, you spray it, And it blocks the receptors that are receiving the opioid um, chemical so that the person doesn't continue to overdose. And I got that information from fentanylawarenessday.org. And they have a great list of facts about what fentanyl is, um, what the symptoms are if someone might be um, experiencing an overdose and what the new drug is, where you can purchase it, and basically how you can help someone out in that situation. But this story is, of course, especially tragic because the victims were babies and toddlers.
Yeah, that makes me incredibly sad. And incredibly scared, right? Like if this can happen in one place, this can happen anywhere else. Um, just the thought of children having this type of exposure is really troubling. And the cost of daycare is astronomical these days too. So I would be very scared to leave my child anywhere, really. It's not safe in schools. It's not safe in daycares. But this is definitely very scary because anything can happen to your children when you drop them off. It's like a parent's worst nightmare, this scenario. And, you know, I the article, like we said, it's still developing. So it's not clear who's at fault for drugs having been in that environment. Um, but, you know, it's you don't have to be someone who is taking the drug yourself. Um, from information, again, on the FACTS website, it's suggested that if it goes in your mouth or into your nostrils, um, fentanyl is way more potent than other opioids. And so even if you're not the one that's like actively taking it, just a small amount of it can um, cause these reactions. It's, it's horrible. And that's like going to be triple for a young child because you're a right. baby. Exactly. So like if it only takes a little bit for an adult, imagine, it's like it can be less, way less than that for such a small kid. It's It makes me, it's, it's kind of similar to like when you hear about these really sad cases where it's like a child, you know, gets a hold of a gun or something. It's like kids get into things like, it could be something that you have legally or like you are using some type of, because people do use opioids for medical issues. Like you never know. And like, there's other opioids besides fentanyl as well that can have a similar effect, especially if a kid gets some of it and you just never know. Like kids are curious. They're, you know, they can, it's happened to me, like with my younger siblings, like when they're toddlers, like they grab something and run away with it. So it's really, 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 like you said, it is a horrible nightmare because who would ever think that this would happen? And it does sound like, you know, the daycare is a nice place. I don't think I wouldn't assume that anything shady was happening on the business. end. it just sounds like a really unfortunate, like a child got a hold of something when it wasn't supposed to be there or they could have brought it from home because someone left it in the house. Like, who knows? Exactly. And I think um, what will happen out of tragic incidents like this is, you know, now we've already seen it become over the counter, but I think it's going to become now like a staple in a first aid kit, um, be like something like the AED movement um, to have that always on hand. So if someone um, has cardiac arrest, you're ready for that situation. Same thing here. You know, if it could even happen in a nursery for children, like it could happen anywhere. And so it is really important to spread awareness for the availability of this product. And, you know, no matter what work environment you're in to be thinking about stocking your first aid kit with this new Narcon product. That's a very compelling approach to it, considering that you know, these types of problems are happening more frequently now. Um, and practically all of us could be at danger, right? Because it's not, uh, the opioid crisis basically affects everybody every day. 
and people really do react differently. You know, the fact that um, children are exposed, humans are exposed, people with special um, needs are can be exposed, which could cause even more things. Um, but just that level of detail for children in these facilities, I think also is something that we need to take a look at. Not too long ago, I had some friends whose son passed away because uh, the daycare did not uh, acknowledge his peanut allergy and served him something. Oh, and it was very, very God. tragic. Um, and he had, his father has been on a campaign to change the laws regarding um, allergies for children within schools and um, just people having that awareness. So just, you know, that general trust that we put in these facilities for our children is definitely something that I think needs a lot more attention, especially now um, with the increase of, you know, the different school shootings, things of this nature, people being exposed, you know, we definitely probably need to overall just go back and really, um, you know, do like a study and find out what's really happening in these facilities. Um, Because, you know, our children are really just being exposed and we think we're doing the right thing, but anything can happen. So maybe just an area of focus that all parents could probably just be a little bit more conscious about these days. You know, that that brings up a good point that's like adjacent is that the state of childcare in this country is really not what it should be. Like, just like you have these situations where you're in a public school classroom and it's one teacher for like 35 kids and there's no way that you can really be on top of that many kids on your own. You have a lot of issues with a lot of these daycares as well, where like the number of adults that are qualified and able to really pay attention to especially young kids. Cause like, like I said, they get into things, they're curious, they need a lot of attention. Like you can't have beyond a certain number of kids like per adult, but there's really not enough support for there to be like good robust like protections in place and like a good ratio of adults that are trained, that are well-paid like there is, I'm not saying it's the case in this situation, but there are situations where people will kind of, they have to go to work and the kid might be in an environment where even if the people are nice, it's just not enough eyes on what's happening or like enough trained people that pay attention to things like medication needs, allergies, like all of these other special needs that children might have. But, you know, the, that lack of support from above is really, it's a problem. Like when you cut corners in that, you have bad consequences. Definitely. And just um, the law, there was actually a law enacted in honor of uh, what happened to my friend, um, his son. The law is called Elijah's Law, which is a law that was enacted for daycares protecting kids from food allergies. So if you want to look up and, you know, just see that story. It actually did happen. I think that was in 2019 when the law was enacted. But definitely, you know, people, you're, you're right. There's just like not enough um, attention to these issues with children and daycares. And, you know, a shift needs to happen. Like these children are different than, you know, children, us and the ones in between us as well. You know, and there's always something new. So, yeah. And. Back to Reese's point about the the peanut allergy. Um, when my sister was a school teacher, they had an it was a two twins who both had the same allergy, and one of them was exposed in the school environment and died. And after oh that point, goodness. the parents, yeah, 
also a horrific horrific for the parents for the community everyone and the parents actually paid out of their own pocket for an aide to mm-hmm. be present with the second twin so that they could you know make sure every room environment was cleared because with the peanut allergy it's such a micro exposure that can cause the full-on anaphylactic shock so i think that's a a great comparison like with the fentanyl it's also such a micro amount that could Mm -hmm. cause these extreme reactions and we would hope and assume that you know the the fentanyl is not in a space like that. And we can hope and assume that the school is taking precautions. But obviously, when these stories come out, that's not always the case. So I think just awareness, awareness, precautions, precautions. Yeah, and I want to also like do a plus one about the the Narcan training. Like there's more and more places offering it. I know my local community board had trainings for that and also how to do CPR it's you know you have to I don't what I don't want to see is a swing too far into like being punitive and like accusatory and more of a swing towards we understand that these things will happen so be prepared for them so it doesn't have to end up in a loss of life um so let's emphasize that and not so much like a witch hunt or trying to demonize people but you know Things exist in the world that maybe we wish they didn't, but if you can act and do something and keep the person alive, like that's way more important than trying to find a boogeyman or something. That's a really great point, Jasmine, because you you know you can't have an idealistic view of how you're going to solve problems like that. You need to be sharp and focused on this is out there now. It's a risk now. And we have to, we can think about the bigger schemes for how to resolve the opioid crisis in America. But for the time being, the more we can get Narcon in people's um, offices, schools, other spaces, and educate people on it, the better. Well, thank you for sharing that um, story with us, Janet. It's, it's unfortunate, but um, it's important to know what's going on. Uh, You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our first musical break, we're going to play Donny Hathaway's version of Yesterday. And, you know, rest in peace to this young boy who passed away in this horrible incident. And also for Elijah Reese, your friend's child. Absolutely. Prayers up for them. Uh, We'll be right back. Trouble seems so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe 
to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And up next, we have Reese with our national news story. Thank you. So this story uh, comes from Reuters. The title of the article is UAW Automakers Resume Talks as U.S. Strike Stretches into Second Day. Um, The author is David Shepperson, and it's dated for today, September 16th. Talks between the United Auto Workers and the Detroit Three Automakers resumed on Saturday, a day after the union initiated the most ambitious U.S. industrial labor action in decades, with simultaneous strikes targeting a trio of auto plants. The four-year labor deal between the union and General Motors, Ford Motors, and Chrysler, parents to Solantis, expired at 11.59 p.m. on Thursday. Solantis said on Saturday, It has hiked its offer, proposing raises of 20% over a a four-and-a-half-year contract term, including an immediate 10% strike. That matches the proposals from GM and Ford. The automakers say the proposals work out to a cumulative 21% hike over the period, but they are all significantly below 40% wage hikes that the UAW is demanding through 2027. The union's wage demand includes a 20% immediate increase. Solantis also said it's offering more than $1 billion in retirement security improvements and other increases in benefits. Mark Stewart, who is the North American Chief Operating Officer for Solantis, said that the UAW rejected 
Salantis proposals to keep an Illinois assembly plant open that was contingent on reaching agreements before the contract expiration. He declined to offer specific details, but added that the company was still willing to talk about the facility's future. The strikes have jolted production at the three plants in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri that produced the Ford Bronco, Jeep Wrangler, and Chevy Colorado, among other popular models. Automakers say they need cost-competitive contracts because of the need to spend billions of dollars to make the transition to electric vehicles, while workers note U.S. automakers have enjoyed robust profits over the last decade and had hiked CEO salaries by 40% on average since 2019. On Friday, Ford said it was definitely laying off 600 workers at the Michigan plant because of the impact of the strike at the facility. And GM told some 2,000 workers at the Kansas car plant that their factory would likely be shut down next week for lack of parts stemming from the strike at the Missouri plant. Salantis said on Saturday it does not anticipate any other plants being disrupted by the strike. UAW President Sean Fain called the reports of planned layoffs of non-striking workers an attempt by the automakers to squeeze union members into accepting weaker settlements. Their plan won't work, Fain said in a statement. We'll organize one day longer than they can. We'll go the distance to win economic and social justice at the big three. Besides higher wages, the UAW is demanding shorter worker weeks, shorter work weeks, restoration of defined benefit pensions, and stronger job security as automakers make the EV ship. The union also wants to end so-called two-tier wages, while automakers have proposed cutting the number of years needed to reach top pay levels from eight to four years. The UAW said the automakers has rejected many key demands. U.S. automakers have said that the UAW demands could hike the current mid $60 per hour labor costs to more than $150 per hour. GM said on Thursday, the UAW wage and benefit proposals could cost it $100 billion, while Ford CEO Jim Farley said the 40% UAW wage hikes could put them out of business. U.S. President Joe Biden, who faces re-election next year, called on Friday for the automakers to reward workers just as executive salaries have risen. The companies have made some significant offers, but I believe they should go further to ensure record corporate profits means record contracts, he said. So that's um, pretty much the end of that summary. Um, this is, you know, a historical moment, which is something I think is important that, as you said earlier, Jasmine, she said that this is somewhat of good news because these workers are uniting. However, you know, it's definitely a serious situation for so many people um, to be involved in this. And we have definitely seen a huge increase, uh, increase in um, strikes this year and across all industries. I feel, too, like this is kind of, um, you know, we delayed and delayed making the shift from oil to electric cars. And it seems like there was going to have to be a reckoning of changing yeah. the industries. So it's not unexpected that this would happen. And um, there's some problems with the electric car, but you know, it's with climate change um, disrupting all of our lives. It's about time that they're making a shift on this issue. So Hopefully we can keep the industry going to some extent in America, help these workers maintain their positions and their wages and 
I think it'll be bumpy though. And, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah, it's like I, I mentioned, I said before we started recording that I thought because we, we are once again coming to you without a real good news story at the end. Like Emily's going to be somewhere like shaking her fist at, at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> all the best I can do for you is we'll end with a happy song. How about that? That's all you're going to get. Go. There we go. But this was kind of a, you know, I was like, it's encouraging, like whether it's like the writer strike. Um, actors being out on strike you see auto workers being out on strike um i hope teachers school teachers uh, yeah and it's like you see you know it's like as hopeless as things can feel at times like it is encouraging to see that there is still a willingness to like join together hold the line and say no like we're tired of you know so-and-so making x amount of money but i gotta worry about whether or not i even can keep my job or will be able to retire so that's good but i yeah. also as a climate change person i am kind of like these cars gotta go but also people have to be trained into other industries that can be you know meaningful have a night a good career like do something that's like turning us in a in a you know better direction because like coal mining is like horrible for the environment it's horrible for your health but like there's ways where you can support workers and like really aggressively transition into something that's better for them better for the planet better for everybody yeah, and that, the employers should not, um, the employees, excuse me, should not have to um, pay for their self to be trained to do this, you know, new innovative form of work for themselves. That should be built into the industry, I think, um, if it's not right. already. That's, you know, an advanced skill that they have to learn. I was thinking about the, you know, the actual wage numbers saying that the, they're currently getting paid roughly $60 an hour, which is better than most people. Um, but you know, what the UAW wants is to be closer to like $150 an hour. I'm sure that's a, a huge ask from that industry, but they have the money. So maybe that wage for the moment may seem like, you know, quite large, but when you think about how much time people put into this industry over their career, like how much they have to learn and, um, keep up with this. A lot of this is physical labor on top of that. So that's a whole nother thing to consider in regards to their healthcare and what other other benefits they need. You know, we all need more benefits and just more consideration as human beings on our jobs. At least I do. I'm assuming that everybody could use an extra remote day, uh, something to make them feel um, just more stable in their contribution because, you, you know, that's what we do every day, all day. So I think they definitely need to work together. Um, you know, the people who uh, definitely are making these decisions with, the people from these unions, but also like if they haven't made the provisions for their industry to move forward as an industry and institution, as an organization, you know, the workers should not be to blame for any of that either. Um, just something to think about in all these industries. Absolutely. And um, kind of on both, both of your points, Jasmine and Reese, um, the bigger picture of lots of different union act, um, activity happening in different industries. Um, there was a, a good article in the Times that 
was highlighting the fact it was in reference to the Google trials that are going on, but it was pointing out how like since the 1960s, um, there's been a shift in um, allowing monopolies to become very, very powerful. And in doing that, right, not being antitrust, it's correlated with all sorts of anti-union, um, anti-compensation based on inflation rates. And so I think with these huge, mega, uh, enormous companies like the Google and the Amazon and you name it, these car industries, like it's kind of a reckoning happening where it's like that, you know, now since the 60s, it's been 60 years. And it's like, you know, workers, we, we've all had it, whatever industry you're in, whether it's the striking of the movies or um, adjunct professors in the college environments or in this car industry, like it's, it's really time to undo some of the um, problems that have come from allowing these companies to become monopolies. Yeah, this is reminding yeah. me of, um, there was this really good episode of Throughline um, one of my favorite podcast, like history podcasts to listen to. And um, they have an episode called The New Gilded Age. And it's drawing parallels between um, back, you know, before the progressive era and like how you had these big like robber baron people, like these massive industries and monopolies and the efforts that went into crushing workers' rights and like how we're seeing a lot of that same stuff happening today um, in this country. And of course, it's been happening around the world. So like, if you haven't heard it already, I would encourage listening to it. Um, but yeah, like, I, I hope that they that we actually see good results, like from these strikes, though, because a lot of them have been going on for quite a while. Exactly. And it, it really does feel like the 20th century and the 21st century have a lot of parallels um, in this economic situation because of the gap in the wealth of the most rich. Um, you know, Vanderbilt's and JP Morgan's are now Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg. Um, there was the experience implosion of the device that went down to see the Titanic with a bunch of millionaires in it at the same week that um, a ship of migrants sunk and killed hundreds of people in the Mediterranean of uh, lower classes. And to me, that felt so poignant because it's like we're almost back in 1912 again with the context. Um, and maybe for us, just like the Titanic was kind of an awakening moment for people to be like, why are the wealthy so much wealthy and the poor suffering so much? Maybe that incident also is sparking people to um, be thinking about, you know, joining together, joining forces to kind of change the way our whole socioeconomic political situation is set up here in the 21st century. Yeah, we got robber barons, people trying to go to see a doomed boat. We got a pandemic. It's like we're just doing a repeat. Uh, it's like all, all the greatest hits, but it's like from the depths of hell of like 100 years ago. Like it's. Ugh. Yeah, well, 
definitely um, something to be looking back um, and looking forward at the same time because history definitely repeats itself. So anyway, we'll see how this pans out. Good luck to the people on both sides. You know, I know all the people in the UAW, they have like a strategic plan where only a certain number of people are striking and others are, you know, still working, trying to maintain some level of balance for the families. Some of them are receiving pay during this time. Some of them are not. So definitely, um, you know, the things that people consider to go out on the line for their industry and for their careers and for their lives and their livelihood. Um, but yeah, important story. Shout out yeah, to the unity in the community all over the globe. <laughs> yeah, solidarity. And um, there was some related good news, I know, in California, like um, people who are on, actors on strike and writers on strike can get unemployment benefits now, or that's going into effect soon. I know I saw it. Oh, wow, that. that's great. That's something to look into for sure. Like, absolutely. Because, you know, striking is not no willy nilly thing. Like, it's real serious to have no money coming in. Um, so it's so important to support one another and for us to be supportive because it's not just the one industry, like we're all getting squeezed. So, you know, we want to see them succeed. And you don't want them to have that leverage to break your demands. So exactly. really right. you, need, you need each other. other. Have to do this in large numbers with a lot of support, definitely. Yeah, so if you're interested in... Um, uniony stuff like i don't know if you've seen it but there's a 1976 documentary harlan county usa uh that's about the coal miners strike uh down in uh kentucky uh, and there's also the fictional film norma ray that stars sally field i think that's the one she won the oscar for she's like you like me you really like me um and that's based on a true story like based on a real life um textile mill worker who organized her workplace and was dealing with a lot of tough conditions so good luck to everybody good good luck to us all like may god help us all because we definitely uh, <laughs> need a push uh, so for our next track this is which side are you on sung by the almanac singers uh, and this was written by uh, labor activist florence reese who was the wife of sam reese a union organizer for um, the United Mine Workers in Harlan County, Kentucky. So we'll be right back. And here's which side are you on? From all of you good workers, good news to you I'll tell of how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son and I'll stick with the union till every battle's won. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Oh, workers, can you stand? 
how you can. Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? You can follow our social media accounts. We have an Instagram account and we also have a Facebook account. Our Facebook page can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free bk no spaces no punctuation our instagram account is at objection to the rule again no spaces no punctuation marks thanks and here's teresa welcome back to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn and um, now for our last segment this is our world news story Um, So as some background, I'm going to read an excerpt from a 2016 article from New York Times Magazine by James Troud. Uh, The title is The Party That Wants to Make Poland Great Again. Uh, And if you're not aware, the party that's currently in power in Poland is called the Law and Justice Party. It's a right-wing nationalist Christian conservative political party. So I would say it's like fascist authoritarian, but I guess you could say that's my opinion. Uh, So the excerpt goes like this. Poland has been the great success story of the former Eastern Bloc, a nation that rapidly adopted democratic norms and moved toward a free market economy after the fall of communism in 1989. But over the last year, uh, so meaning like 2015, 2016, Jarosław Kaczynski, the founder of the Law and Justice Party, and his followers have moved with astonishing speed to alter that trajectory in hopes of deflecting Poland from the orbit of Western Europe and returning it to a past defined by family, church, and home. In its first months in power, the new government moved swiftly to gain control over the country's public media its civil service and its judiciary, and it has largely neutralized the constitutional tribunal, the nation's highest court. The European Union, in a rare rebuke, accused law and justice of undermining the rule of law. Kaczynski told the European Union to mind its own business. Uh, So that is coming up on like seven, eight years ago that this party has risen up and is still in control of the government. So that's some background to uh, what we're talking about here. Uh, This article is from Jezebel. It was written by Susan uh, Rincunas and it was published just this last week. The title is, There are now tests that can detect if someone took abortion pills. The chilling development comes out of Poland where prosecutors have already used the test to investigate pregnancy outcomes, reports the New York Times. Scientists in Poland have reportedly developed lab tests that can detect whether people have taken abortion pills, and those tests are already being used to investigate pregnancy outcomes under the country's abortion ban. This is an alarming development to say the least, And unfortunately, it feels like it's only a matter of time before a U.S. state replicates the effort. Uh, And this is an aside. All abortions in Poland are illegal unless the pregnancy was the result of a criminal act like rape or incest, or if the pregnant person's life or health is in danger. 
Uh, in Poland, they ruled recently that it's unconstitutional to get an abortion due to fetal abnormalities. Uh, back to the article. According to a bone-chilling piece in the New York Times, Polish scientists have developed tests that can identify both mifepristone and mesoprostol, the drugs typically used in a medication abortion, though some people do use mesoprostol alone. The studies were part of a research project funded by the Polish government, where researchers were able to find evidence of mesoprostol in the placenta and mifepristone in a woman's blood sample. A spokesperson for a prosecutor's office in Roklaw, Poland, confirmed to the Times that Polish authorities have already used the test to investigate pregnancy outcomes. Advocates in the U.S. have told people for years that if they had to go to the hospital after taking the pills by mouth, medical workers wouldn't be able to tell because medication abortion essentially causes a miscarriage and there's no drug test that can detect the meds. Avoiding suspicion is not an idle concern. An If When How report from August 2022 found that in 61 cases where adults were investigated for pregnancy outcomes, 45% were reported to law enforcement by care professionals, including doctors, nurses, and social workers. None of these drug tests could mean even... News of these drug tests could mean even more people criminalized by the healthcare system, especially without the protections of Roe versus Wade. Um, and skipping ahead a little bit, when abortion is banned, every miscarriage and stillbirth becomes a potential crime scene, and Poland is taking its already dystopian anti-abortion surveillance state to the next level. Poland created a national pregnancy registry in June 2022 and recently had police search the sewers for a fetus to try and prove a woman lied about having a miscarriage. In that case, the police collected her underwear, scissors she used to cut the umbilical cord, and blood from her floor for an investigation. They even wanted to funnel the contents of her home septic tank, but cleaners refused. Police claimed the woman lost her pregnancy, quote, as a result of criminal actions, unquote, and prosecutors opened proceedings against her only to drop them months later. The Polish government also prosecuted an activist who gave abortion pills to a pregnant woman in an abusive relationship. The woman reportedly never took them, but she did miscarry. Justina, uh, and her last name is spelled W-Y-D-R-Z-Y-N-S-K-A, Wizdrinska, uh, I think, co-founder of the group Abortion Dream Team, was convicted in March of illegally aiding an abortion and sentenced to eight months of community service. It was the first conviction of its kind in Europe. Um, and just this is uh, for the United States, but if you are someone who is in need of an abortion, uh, you can use the website www.ineedana.com uh, for information about resources that might be available to you. So yeah, like very alarming development. Uh, things are already pretty nightmarish in Poland right now um, with 
checking people's menstrual cycles and things like this. And it's crucial to remember that, yes, like when you make abortion illegal, what that means is any pregnancy that does not end in a live birth is used as a way to like criminalize you or the people who may have helped you, even if as commonly happens, you may have just had a miscarriage. Um, so yeah, definitely alarming news. That's very, very scary and concerning. Wow, they don't too much. I mean, they're doing too much. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not sorry. I'm just like, literally, anybody that threatens anybody's personhood for any fucking reason is just awful, man. This is insane, though. The whole checking process, like, I'm a little bit at a loss for words. This is awful that people are going through this and that this is even a thing that we're talking about. It's basically like just criminalizing women for being biologically women. And, you know, this this is a story in Poland, but it has implications for women all around the world because it's now a precedent that other countries that are also moving towards the right can look to in criminalizing the process of becoming pregnant and unpregnant, which is part of a woman's health and circumstances. Um, Really, really upsetting and scary for all of us. When Romania was under the rule of their dictator, Ceausescu, he had a decree that he put out in 1967. It was called Decree 770. And they just arbitrarily, and this wasn't even like for religious reasons, but they decided, you know, since women were had joined the workforce like earlier on and the contraception was more of like available and so forth, the birth rate had dropped. So there was a decision that like the population of Romania had to grow by some like millions of numbers. So in 1967, with this decree, all contraception and abortions were made illegal unless you were over 45. Or if you had already had four children, they later changed it to five children. If your life was in danger, if you carried to term for medical reasons, or if you had become pregnant through rape or incest. For everyone else, essentially, you could not prevent yourself from becoming pregnant and you could not end the pregnancy. And they enforced this by everyone who, like once you were considered of childbearing age, like I guess since you start your period, you would be examined monthly by a gynecologist and there were secret police. And this went on for over 20 years, if you can imagine like the hell that that would be. And the results were devastating, like tons of children born into really grim circumstances and being left in like orphanages, having horrendous different like physical um, disabilities and stuff because of neglect and seeing places move closer and closer to that type of world it's so scary yeah absolutely yeah that's that's horrific have you ever seen um the film speaking of romania four months three weeks and two days no haven't seen it yet 
I've seen it twice. I remember I watched it years ago and I recently rewatched it maybe a few months ago. And it's set in, because uh, Ceausescu was brought down in 1989, um, but it's in the late 80s, like in the waning days of his regime. And it follows the story of these two young women. I think they're in like a college dorm situation and one of them is pregnant. It's the story of them under this regime like trying to procure an abortion like for the one friend and the unsavory characters you have to deal with to try to get under you know black market like contraception or trying to find someone who will provide an abortion and what people like that will do to you because you're so vulnerable yeah that sounds like an important watch um and like i said it's so important for us to take this women everywhere as kind of a danger cue because, you know, we've seen in the last few decades, women make a lot of progress in the workplace and education. I read an article recently that some schools now have over 65% of the campus is women. So the, the outlook for America specifically is that, um, you know, women are getting higher degrees than men at this point. And I think that's all been really encouraging and powerful to see. I know in my own workplace, a lot of my bosses are females now um, who've moved up the lines and are in their 50s and 60s. But I have this like feeling of fear um, knowing that there are, are right wing factions all over the world and here in America There's a lot of um, hate crimes towards women. And with an uneducated, growing male population who's frustrated, there's a large incel movement. Um, I think these policies that take control of women's bodies and their health care are kind of a reactive effort uh, to our progress that we've made. And... um, it's an example of men trying to quote unquote, put us back in our place and bring us down from the rungs that we've climbed. Um, So I think we need to be wide awake um, when these things happen in other countries and looking at all the downfall of Roe versus Wade here, be proactive to other women here. Um, It's really alarming to see this kind of stuff. And again, like you brought up the examples of Romania and places where we saw what this looked like um, in its full swing. We don't want that to happen again. We don't want to go back to that. Um, It's just so scary. Absolutely. I definitely feel like we're here and already, you know, so we just have to really look out for each other and just be mindful that this is a a constant time of awareness and uh, solidarity for people for all types of walks of life, especially women in this moment. Yeah. So just like we talked about solidarity amongst workers and things, it's like these forces that are against us, like they're, it's like Medusa, (laughs) you know, you cut one thing off and then another one grows out. And it is about reasserting control and trying to take us back in time. Like we see child labor laws being rolled back, the right to have an abortion being rolled back, even though it was always incomplete and in reality hard to access for many people. It's now getting even worse. 
um, the things Janet was mentioning, the backlash against teaching Black history, teaching about the Holocaust, like all of these things are about trying to take us back in time where like the only people that really had full rights were not just straight white men, but like straight white Anglo Christian men who had money. And we cannot go back to that. Like we really, you know, if we want to prevent it, we have to fight. Uh, So on that note, we did a show. Thank you for listening. And um, happy birthday to my friend, Laura. I don't know if she's listening, but if she is, happy birthday to you, girl. And, and this- happy birthday to my mom. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, Christine. Happy birthday to your mom and to Laura. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, this is a fitting uh, birthday song for uh, ladies as we move on up that ladder of time. <laughs> You've been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Beyonce with School and Life. Thanks for listening, and have a good rest of your week. Bye. 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 This is starting twenty somethings. Time really moves past you were just sixteen. This is starting thirty something that didn't turn out exactly how your mom and dad wanted you to be. This is part and part of something. Well, raise up your glass and laugh like a mother. This is part and pretty something. Hell, you're halfway there, baby. Take it to the head. Mom and dad try to hide the world. Said the world's just too big for a little girl. Eyes wide open, can't you see? I had my first kill by the age of 13. Mom and dad try to hide the boys I swear that just made them want me more At 14 they asked me what I want to be I said baby 21 so I give me a dream I'm not a